the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Do sit down, please. The miracle of feeding 5,000. How do we define a miracle? Perhaps something that is out of the ordinary, something that cannot be explained, something that seems to be operating in a contra way, an opposite way to the way our world would expect it to. So perhaps, rather than saying a miracle, we could use the translation of God's power, God's power breaking through to transform the world to the world as it could be, perhaps the world as it should be, and we hope the world as it will be one day when the kingdom is fully here. Perhaps this story of feeding the 5,000 is one you are very familiar with. It's one that appears in all four Gospels, albeit with a few slight variations and different emphases. However, if I'm totally honest, it's one for me that with my rational mind and my desire to understand, that at times I have struggled to visualise. And I have to admit that is more than Jesus walking on water or calming a storm or healing the sick or even raising Lazarus from the dead. How can five loaves and two fish feed so many people? I cannot explain that how such a small amount of food can do that. And actually, my job, I think, is not to try. How many people, though, were we actually talking about? From my background, I I remember it's feeding the 5,000. But if you remember the last word that was read to us now, it wasn't 5,000. It was 5,000 men plus women and children present. In fact, one of the commentaries said that could be 20,000 I, in my own mind, had wondered about 13,000. And the reason I thought about 13,000 was because at New Wine last week, there were about 13,000 people at Shepton Mallet ground, all there to praise and worship God. 13,000 people. Can you comprehend that number? Camping, caravanning, some day eventers, some there for a short time, some there for the week. Crowds. Mass organisation, huge tents, hundreds of speakers, it seemed, lots of food, lots of drink, queues for the toilets, even longer queues for the showers, fields and fields of campers and caravanners, 13,000 people. I know some from our church who've attended many years said that actually there were so many there this year that they had been turned away from some of the venues that were already full when they had got there. Something they had not experienced before. Seems like there were just too many people to cope. It's interesting, perhaps, in our text today that Jesus doesn't turn the people away, does he? He says to his disciples, they, the people, need not go away. And instead, he invites the disciples to feed all these thousands of people. Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. Can you imagine being told that, that number of people, you go and feed them? 
This will work, won't it? It's what Jesus has desired after all. Remember the beginning of our passage now. Jesus was getting on a boat and going somewhere remote. He was retreating to a desolate place in one of the translations, a place to be alone. But he was followed. The crowds heard where Jesus was going and wanted to be with him. How he was living, what he was doing, how he was speaking was attracting attention. So these people wanted to see with their own eyes what he was doing and be parts, perhaps, of what was happening. So when Jesus arrived to what he hoped would be a desolate place and came on shore, a huge crowd was already there. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm tired and I need some time alone or want to retreat, If I ended up going somewhere and I was going to be followed or meet hundreds of people, I don't think I'd be too happy. I'm an introvert, and that's why I need to recharge my batteries alone. But that's not how Jesus reacted at all. We heard that Jesus had compassion on those who were there waiting for him. He doesn't turn the people away. He always has more in reserve for those who are in need. He acted with compassion and he healed the sick. He saw the need. He saw and desired the transformation that could come about from these people's circumstances, from what these people were facing to something different, to something better. Then we have the disciples jumping in. Perhaps they were acting to try and look after Jesus, to in some way be kind, protect him knew that he did need some space. I don't know. They said to Jesus, why don't you send the crowds away into the villages and let them buy food for themselves? The day has been long. People were hungry. But Jesus' reply was, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. From the disciples' perspective, the solution was for the people to go, buy their own food, fend for themselves. But that isn't what Jesus had in mind. So the disciples came forward. They had five loaves and two fish. Now I don't know how many people that can feed, but not thousands, surely. Jesus responds, though, to what was offered, the few loaves and the few fish, was bring them to me. The very little that the disciples had, he took The disciples did that. They gave him the fish and the loaves. Jesus took them, blessed them, gave thanks, broke the bread and distributed. Words for us that perhaps foretaste words that we use now in the Eucharist, a foreshadowing perhaps um, of words used in the Last Supper. And this may as well be. But regardless of that, we do have a wonderful picture of offering a little to Jesus and Jesus taking what has been offered and in a marvellous way multiplying the offering in ways that perhaps could not have been predicted or expected by those first disciples. Perhaps it is our familiarity with this story that removes us slightly from the wonder, the pondering afresh of these events, of just what Jesus can do with a little bit of trust on our part 
and faith. So I don't think my task today is to convince you of any historical authenticity or provide the how. I can't do that. But what I can comment on is how we can trust God with what we can offer him. And when we do this, I think there are times when we can see the miraculous come. We can see the movement of God breaking into our world. We can see signs of the kingdom coming. Friends, we have a compassionate God who longs for our good, for the good of this world. Jesus is motivated by the compassion he feels for the people. When Jesus saw the great crowd, he had compassion for them and healed the sick. The dictionary, actually, when I look, defines compassion in a very narrow way. It talks about pity and concern for sufferings or misfortunes of others. But I'd go a little further than that and say when we are compassionate, we are entering into the suffering of others. Perhaps we can feel or put ourselves in the same place that they are in. In some of Paul's writing in Colossians, the instruction is for how we are to live with compassionate hearts. Put on then as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. So Jesus was motivated by deep caring for others, by the love of the Father, and to see lives transformed and the kingdom come. And friends, it is our commission too, today, in Walderslade, to join in with this. Jesus asked his first disciples to feed the people. He said, you give them something to eat. Today, Jesus, today, God, works through his people in this world. We can see Jesus' work through what we can offer, through what his people can offer. In this story, it was the loaves and the fish that were blessed and multiplied. Today, Jesus can work with the little we offer him, and in many ways, it does seem to be so little. Perhaps we come feeling uncertain or unsure at times. Can God use me? Can God use what I have to offer? Perhaps we have feelings of inadequacy, But actually what we need to remember is that we have a God we can trust in who when we offer the little that we can takes what we can and accomplishes far more than we can ever achieve ourselves. And that's the thing. This is God's work that we are called to participate within. So in our weakness, our unbelief, perhaps even our tiredness, if we are willing, what can God achieve? I've got a short story to tell you now of um, something that happened at New Wine. It was on Friday morning and I'd spent um, every morning worshipping in Impact. It was described as a little bit edgy and on the edge and, you know, but it wasn't. It was great. It was absolutely wonderful. And at the end of um, the speaker's time, she called people forward if they wanted to come forward for prayer. Lots of people went forward. I wasn't on the prayer ministry team. And so I thought, ooh. Um, yes, there's a lot of people there. Have they got enough to pray with? And actually, sure enough, there was a call. If anybody is able to come and pray, please, can you come forward? We need more people, especially women, at which point I thought I need to go. 
So I went forward, and actually there were loads of people standing there. I'm not exaggerating, there were a lot. Some already being prayed for and others not. So I weaved my way through towards the front, looking for somebody who was alone. And I saw a girl, in her late teens she was, with bright pink hair. And I thought, oh, you're alone, I'll pray with you. But then I looked to her other side, and there was a little girl, probably in her mid-teens, with bright blue hair, standing next to her. I thought, oh, you've already got somebody with you. That lady over there has not. I will move on. But actually, a steward called me back and said, no, could you pray with the girl with pink hair, please? I said, yes, of course. Very happy to do that. So I prayed. I waited. I shared a few words. She shared a few words. I prayed again. I had a picture which I shared. She smiled. And then I felt God say, share yourself, Adele. I thought, oh gosh, am I breaking every rule in how we're supposed to minister here? I don't know. But anyway, it's not really about me after all. But what I haven't told you is that this young woman with the bright pink hair had given testimony earlier. She'd been up on the stage and she'd shared some of her story. She has a really difficult background. She comes from an estate where there's huge poverty. She was raised as a Catholic and fell out with God and fell out with the church because, in her words, she did not want to be a nun. And it was only a plant, a church plant, that brought her back into the fold, so to speak. So anyway, my story. Yes, okay, God, I will share what I think you want me to share. So I said to her, do you know, when I was 12, I also told God that I didn't want to be a nun. And then I said, I also told God that I knew I wouldn't be able to be a priest because I'm not a man. And I said to her, do you know the funny thing? I was ordained a year ago, at which point her eyes lit up and she said, what, you're a vicar? And I didn't go into all the spiel of what vicar was, but I said, yes. I think what this little, this young woman needed to hear was that God could use her in her circumstances, whatever they were, whatever she'd walked through before, that was fine. God could meet her and what little she could offer he would take and use. I learned that lesson then because the little I felt I'd offered in some way had made a difference to her at that point. Time will tell and I do not know. That's my interpretation of events. But I was so thankful that my offering of going forward when I thought I might not be needed did make a little bit of difference to one person. And that's the other thing about our God is that there's abundance when we step out. It's not small, it's vast, it's bigger than we can imagine how God can take our attempts, our words, our food, our passions, and use them for his glory. Remember, in the story, there were baskets and baskets of food left over. But when I hear the word abundance, I'm also very conscious that we live in a world where the abundance we have and we do have abundance in this place is not shared justly and actually the world seems to be polarizing between the haves and the haves have nots more each day more each year sometimes we might see the split between hemispheres the rich north the poor south i don't know or perhaps even what the western world has compared to other cultures We live looking and watching and participating in this tension, this polarisation. We have all heard statistics about the wealth held by a few individuals. And then perhaps in the next breath, we've seen pictures of famine in places such as Africa. 
Perhaps we've seen enormous and quite lavish houses lived in by the rich. And then the next clip on the news shows slums in India and South America, where children are digging around in rubbish heaps. And friends, I think we've all probably seen Grenfell Tower, our more recent history. We know the story of the residents. And yet we've also seen the executive flats on the other side of the Thames in the same borough. You see, today this story, Miracle as it is, speaks of an invitation to offer all that we can to Jesus and to allow him and his ways to work so that there is always enough food for everybody who's in need. There's always enough words, there's always enough encouragement. And there's more than that, there's so much left over besides, which is surely a reminder for us to be careful and good stewards of all that we have been given. So I can say that feeding of the thousands is a miracle, two fish and five loaves. But also, let us be more attentive and open to our God and how he's working through us and through his people in many other ways. Miracles happen when we see the oppressed free, when we see those in despair restored, when we see reconciliation in communities or those who have difference, when we see enough food to go round so everybody has some, where we see clean drinking water. These are two miracles, works of power, which show the world the right way up, the world the way the way the world can be when god's power when his will takes hold when our god is allowed to be in charge as i finish i just want to use the words of teresa of avila which i'm sure many of you will know as a call as a reminder for each of us god has no hands but our hands to do his work today god has no feet but our feet to lead others in his way. God has no voice, but our voice to tell others how he died. And God has no help, but our help to lead them to his side. Amen.